There's just so much to do on Christmas. Am I the only one who likes Christmas? So I preached a lot <laughs> this Advent. Um, so maybe you've, maybe you've heard enough from me. Um, I, I, I got a couple things, though, that I want to share, really two things. So I'm taking my mini-sermon, and I'm cutting it into half into two different ones. Because uh, uh, there's, there's two things that we haven't got to bring up yet that I think are actually super important. Um, the first one is that, uh, okay, let's back up. So Jesus declared his mission statement to the world when he was in Nazareth. He went back home during his ministry, and how did it go? Not well. In fact, after he said this, they tried to stone him and then throw him off a cliff. Why? Well, this is what he said. He said this was his mission statement. It's from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, etc., etc. So his mission statement, according to him himself, Jesus himself, in part was to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, we talked a little bit about what the Roman world was like at the time, and there were plenty of captives, plenty of prisoners, actual slaves, that sort of thing. But I want to talk about one specific captive group, this morning that encompassed over 50% of the population of the people were part of this, this group that I would call captives, kind of held in darkness by society at the time. And that group was women. Um, I have spent hundreds and hundreds of hours studying this. This was my master's thesis um, at seminary, um, the issue of women at the time of Christ and through the scripture. And it's not, it's a small thing to say <laughs> that women didn't have it so great. Yeah, when Jesus was there, okay? It was really, really rough. They couldn't testify in court. It was believed that nothing a woman said could be trusted. Um, they couldn't own property. And so if your husband died, you had to find another man to claim that property and take care of your stuff, or your kids would starve. Um, even Jesus had to do that for Mary and his family, right, after Joseph passed away. Um, it wasn't a great time to be a woman, and I don't think it is a stretch to describe the lives of women in society at the time as captive, and I thoroughly believe that if you look at the story of Jesus and the early church after him, you see over and over and over again, we don't have near enough time to look at it all, the incredible links that God went to to proclaim freedom to women in particular. And we, we talked before about how um, in ancient Near East culture, the culture around where Jesus was born at the time, first things were always really important. The first thing someone said, the first place someone went, the first miracle Jesus did, the firsts are always really important. In that culture in particular, firsts were very important. Um, I want to mention a couple firsts. The first person to be told about the coming Messiah was Mary, right, who was a woman. And you might say, that's not that significant. She had to know because she was the mom. Okay. Um, but Mary was the first person to be told about the Messiah. The first two people to recognize who Jesus actually was and declare that he was the son of God were Mary and Elizabeth, two women. Now, to compare that, it took Peter years, literally years, walking around with Jesus to know and declare who he actually was. Mary and Elizabeth, it took them no time at all. The second Elizabeth saw Mary, who am I that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Now, why? 
why did those two women recognize it and declare it before the disciples? Well, God revealed it to them, obviously, right? God revealed it to them, which to me is really significant. God chose to reveal the most important event in human history to women first, before anybody else. Remember, these women can't testify about what, they, what God has told them. No one will believe them. And yet, God chooses to tell them first. I think that's, that's really significant. We see a lot of other firsts, just a couple of them. The first person to recognize the risen Christ was a woman. The first person to proclaim the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a woman, Mary Magdalene. Um, and she proclaimed it to none other than the apostles themselves, which is why the early church refers to Mary Magdalene as the apostle to the apostles, which is a pretty huge honor, right? The apostle to the apostles. So, but right here at the incarnation, we see God intentionally doing a really significant first, telling the f uh, uh, revealing it to Mary and Elizabeth. They were the first to see and declare that Jesus was the son of God, that he was who he really was. And I think it's just so significant that God chose intentionally to reveal it to them first because I think what that was doing, in part, was setting up the whole stage for Jesus' ministry and mission statement because part of his mission, mission statement was to proclaim freedom for the captives, not to bring freedom to the captives today. That's not what it says. It says to proclaim freedom for the captives. So Jesus is setting the stage for that freedom. And I think uh, he does it in a wonderful way. And I thought that was really cool. Okay, the other thing I wanted to share was about sheep. You can't go through a normal service with it. So we're going to talk about sheep now. Um, so S-H-E-E-P. So we all know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, right? You knew that because you're smart. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Why? Because it was the city of David. It's where David's from, and Jesus was going to sit on David's throne one day. It was prophesied. Okay, yes. Um, it was prophesied in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Yes, it was prophesied. But why? What's the significance of Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Could have been, bo been born anywhere. It has to do with sheep. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Proof someone's paying attention, folks. Okay, so what in the world does it have to do with sheep? So in the area around Bethlehem, all firstborn male sheep were considered holy in the area around Bethlehem. And there was a place there, one of the fields, called Midgal Edgar. I'm sure I mispronounced it. Um, it means the tower of the flock. Okay? And that was the place where all of the sheep that were past inspection, because it had to be a perfect, blameless, firstborn male sheep, were brought there, and they were raised as the sacrificial lambs for the temple. Okay? So they were all brought to that place, the Tower of the, of the Flock in Bethlehem. So all the sacrificial lambs that were sacrificed in Jerusalem for Passover came from Bethlehem. Okay, hold that for a second. And now remember what John the Baptist said about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what John said about him. And Jesus was indeed our Passover lamb even literally because he was hanging on the cross and dying right when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed. The Gospels are really clear about the timeline. And so right when the Passover lambs are being slaughtered, Jesus is dying on the cross. And I think that's why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I think Jesus, the true lamb of God, who would later be our once and for all sacrifice, was born in the exact same place where all the other sacrificial lambs were born. 
because, and I think it was a prophetic statement as to what Jesus was called to do and who he was called to be. Um, and the, the, the Jewish people, especially in that, in that first century, would have been like, well, yeah, obviously, right? And I got to wonder what the shepherds thought about it, too, because that's these shepherds, right? Um, and I got to wonder what they thought about seeing Jesus in a manger, which is a shepherd's thing as well. Um, I, I think the manger might have some significance, too, actually. I was thinking about it. Um, what is a manger? It's an animal feeding trough. That's it, right? That's all it is. It's usually fairly low to the ground because sheep aren't that tall. Some places might have two, one for tinier sheep and one for bigger sheep. Um, but they weren't here and here. They're, they're, they're done. Um, so if there was significance to that, what would it be? Well, you know, Jesus did say in uh, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. And in John 6.51, whoever eats this bread will have eternal life. I think maybe the shepherd certainly would have thought him being placed in the feeding trough was significant because he is the bread of life for all of us. And this Christmas, you know, maybe you can ask yourself, where does my life come from? Where do I turn to when I need more life? When things are difficult, stressful, hard, where do I turn to to get more life? Do I turn to entertainment, fun food, emotional um, gratification of some kind? What do I turn to for life? Because the only real bread of life is found in Jesus. That's it. And in Luke 11, Jesus has uh, promised us that the Father will always give us that bread of life if we ask for it, no matter what. And so my prayer is that like the shepherds, we can worship and thank God, yes, for the glorious gift of Jesus, but also that we can humble ourselves, because it's down low, right? You've got to humble yourself to eat out of a manger. <laughs> um, that we can do that and humble ourselves so that we can experience eternal life, but not only eternal life, but the fullness of life here on earth, because he is our source of all that. Amen. We're going to sing a couple more songs now. So we talked about two shocking arrivals. This is about the first. The couple came from Nazareth, a town with a bad reputation. The mother was not married, suspected all her life of birthing a child illegitimately. Gabriel had told her she was having a king. Didn't look like it. The location, the birthing center, the mother, the guests, the surroundings. The birth of royalty should have really been in the city of the great king, Jerusalem. Bethlehem was buzzing with activity, but not for any Jewish royalty. It was compulsory cash for Caesar, who announced a global tax, maybe to help him build more roads to Rome. No one stopped to greet the new parents. They didn't even know that a birth was taking place. And if they had, they wouldn't have cared anyway. They had more important things to do than to see an unwed mother deliver a child with a boyfriend, the only attendant. Good they didn't make the birth more public. She would have been stoned. 
Joseph most likely had relatives in town. Think about it. He was from the house and line of David. That spells Bethlehem. I don't think they believed his story, but they did offer him a barn out back or maybe a cave. It appears that she gave birth in the presence of animals. The baby was placed in a feeding trough, a poor excuse for a cradle and far less sanitary. An angel choir showed what heaven thought of the event, but they sang to shepherds outside the city on a hill, not to important people. The hillside gang came to congratulate the whole child, the only visitors at the birth. Wise men, most probably servants of a Gentile king, came many, many months later. They were not royalty. They were not likely wealthy, though they had gifts that maybe looked like they were. They perhaps gave all they had, like another Mary did with her perfume. No one could have guessed by the parents or the place that this child was going to be a king. Births of regal family members, as you know, are typically anticipated for months in advance. People know what is about to happen and plan their schedules in anticipation of a history-making event. Not this time around. It was as if God were coming incognito, in lowliness, meekness, humility, shame, disgrace. The soon-to-be mother had received the announcement in advance from an angel, so she knew of the importance, even if the surroundings didn't tell, did tell a different story. She was able to keep all these things and treasure them in her heart. She knew throughout the life of her boy that he was destined for the throne. Though she had moments where she would have preferred him home rather than traveling as a poor itinerant teacher supported by some well-to-do women and followed by common workers who had left their jobs. He didn't know from day to day where, where he could be sleeping, by the way. He said he had no place to lay his head. Often he had no bed. He didn't have a place to celebrate the Passover because he didn't have a home. So friends helped him out. He was rejected by the people who came to connect with him. And he died the most humiliating and painful public death possible. And while he was dying, the beating and barking that started at night continued. He was too poor to own a tomb for his burial, so a wealthy new convert stepped in to help. He only needed it for two nights. From start to finish, abject poverty, humility, rejection. He was the stone the builders rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. A man from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. How's that for the first time around? So now we're waiting for this. We're waiting for the trumpet to sound. We're waiting for the end to come 
and for the announcement from <coughs> heaven. And we'll be gathered together. That concludes what started right there. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.